Oh. oh. Wow. That is dumb. Well, I'm going to talk about eco-terrorism. Got too excited about jorts. I'm leaving now with my Roomba or your blood on my hands. I'm back. Back on my bullshit. What is meme if not airhorn persevering? No, this is this is not a family show. And I quote, many American titties. Why'd you have to bring Dane Cook to this, Andrew? No one wanted that. Oh, you guys are not ready for what I've got today. And I've apparently hit the very end of my attention span. Give me like 30 seconds. I'm looking for rhymes. Hello and welcome to Debate This, the show where no one is right, but someone is definitely wrong. In this show, we take time out of our busy adult lives to talk about comic books, video games, and how it is more likely that I'll be getting an English version of Mother 3 for Christmas than it is that Twitter exists in 2023. Man, <laughs> this joke is for me. Yeah. This joke it's my is joke. for me. I have been watching, I have been faithfully watching the downfall of Twitter yeah. for a week and a half now. I would argue that this my more favorite importantly, show. I would argue that more importantly, this joke is for whoever tanked Eli Lilly and company's stock by $8 oh my million dollars <laughs> after one tweet. Well, there was a there was an article that came out today. Apparently, after that tweet went up, someone from Eli Lilly reached out to Twitter and was like, you got to take it down. Yeah. And Twitter is so skeleton crude right now that it sat up there for hours. So um, the the but good example of how skeleton crude Twitter is. Um, they they broke two factor authentication. They did. <laughs> what? <laughs> if you if you go to log in and have two factor authentication set up right now, the text will not come. Mm-hmm. Like the second uh, the code just, will like, just sits not in get limbo. sent out. Yeah, and yeah. it happened hours after after fucking. Elon, my big dumb face Musk, got in a very public war with one of his engineers. Yeah. Who Elon is like, oh, well, it's so much so much slower on Android because of these reasons. And one of his engineers we're gonna retweeted cut, we're him. We're going to cut the bloat. And- well, one of his engineers retweeted him. He's like, I've been doing this for six years. That's not how this works. And then Elon's like, yeah, I'm going to cut all this bloat out. Well, that bloat was two-factor authentication. So, <laughs> Oh, God. Whoops. Well, I just turned two-factor on the other day, so I'm going to Me go too, turn Matt. that off now. Good lord. The the best take over all this is obviously some people are like, hey, I'm leaving because Elon Musk has this platform that he owns. And the best take is still, why would you leave now? You're a week away from a class action lawsuit. At any moment, we could all be part of a class action lawsuit. Yeah, man. Um, it's okay though, guys. He figured out that a verification system is a good idea, actually, <laughs> and that Twitter should probably implement one. Oh man! Good lord. Okay. Well, we got some Twitter hate out. I've turned two-factor authentication off. That's cool. Anyway, we are gathered here today to facilitate another flavor text. This one, Ooh. like all of our flavor texts, was commissioned by one of our patrons over at Patreon.com/slash/DebateThisCast. If you would like to commission your own DT-flavored book report, well, bad news. Commissions are closed for the rest of the year, but they will reopen... Insert jail cell sound effect here. <laughs> uh, that was pretty good, I think. They, they will reopen next year, uh, and they will reopen to our patrons exclusively. So look out for more information about that, both in the show notes of this episode and also in future episodes but this flavor text was commissioned by friend and quite literally family of the show the harmacist over in our discord 
As you, the listener, can likely tell from the title of the episode, this week, instead of learning about some nerdy topic, we're here to learn about each other, proving once and for all that the real content (laughs) was the friends we made along the way. Perfect. Yeah, we did it. (laughs) The Harmacist has asked us to delve into our nerdy origin stories today, so please allow me to scratch the record and ask the question, how did we get here? Long-time listeners of Debate This may remember an episode we did near the top of Season 2 called Meet the Fighters, in which we took some time to introduce ourselves and talk a little bit about how the podcast came to be. If you'd like to travel back to the before times and hear our young, shiny-eyed selves, that episode will be linked in the show notes as well. This episode, though, will be a little bit different. My goal for today uh, is my goal for all flavor texts, to dig into the nitty-gritty and draw a line from past to present. Joining me today to talk about themselves are Todd, the Emperor's New Groove Thomas, Andrew, Fight Club Henderson, and Kyle, Sonic the Hedgehog Harper. I want to guess. Go ahead. They're all David Fincher films, right? That's not true. <laughs> <laughs> the Emperor's New Groove by David Fincher. <laughs> That was really good. Um, My guess is these are all movies that each of us have listed on our Facebook profiles. Wow, that's hilarious. (laughs) Oh my God, I wish it was, but that's not it either. Sonic the Hedgehog would not be listed on properties, I guess I should have said. Yeah, yeah. Todd, care to venture a guess? I mean, I love The Emperor's New Groove, so I don't know what I'm going to do with this this information you've given me. I don't I don't have the through line here. I all I can hear in my head is squeak squeakum, squeak squeaker. <laughs> have you seen my acorn? Do, is it is that the answer is all three of them intri- er, uh, involve Patrick Warburton at some point? <laughs> no, not that either. Tyler Durden. Tyler Tyler. Gotta, gotta go fast, Peter. Gotta, gotta Stop go fast, it. Peter. Stop Peter, this. Gotta go fast. No, I foreshadowed it. I gave it away. All three of these movies have a record scratch and a cut to main character with a voiceover that says, oh, I bet you're wondering how we got here. That's really good. That's yeah. Really good. I thought Sonic I bet the Hedgehog you're wondering where I got here, Peter. <laughs> I, I thought you were going to say each one of them has a very apparent Olive Garden product placement. All right. They are all also <laughs> directed by David Fincher. <laughs> Peter. Now, because I couldn't exactly research your backstories, at least not in any way that's fully legal, I thought we'd run this one a little bit differently. We're basically each going to take a turn in the proverbial hot seat for some little mini interviews. I've got a few questions for each of y'all to get us started, and if anyone else thinks of a question, they can throw it in along the way. So... Todd, you're first in the nickname order, so you get to be the first the first interviewee. Are the you first excited? Victim. Perfect. I'm going to answer these questions so much better than everyone else. Good. Good. Because everything is a competition in my life to make me feel like I'm a worthwhile human, so I'm just ready. <laughs> this right is now. the aspect of your personality we are all very well aware <laughs> mm-hmm. of. Well, my first question is, what is your biggest weakness and how can it be used as a positive? <laughs> it's it's actually... It's 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 my weak knees. If you take me out at the knees, I go down easy. That's a lot of people don't expect it. Anyway, my actual first question for you, Todd, and this is my first question for everybody. What is your earliest memory of a comic or video game? Yeah, this is a really fun question. Um, I specifically so I grew up with uh, Nintendo. Um, We had an NES in my home 
Um, and I, you know, I remember playing Duck Hunt with my sister growing up. Um, and I, I really like would point to two specific video game memories that are just like linchpins of my childhood and not listing Nintendo, like having an NES is one of them. But I remember the Christmas that we got the sepia Game Boys, the like big brick the, the, game the classic Boys. brick Game Boy. Yeah, the classic brick Game Boy that you could not play if you were in dim light or not direct sunlight. And specifically, so at the time, um, we were like my family, we were living with my grandparents. And I vividly remember my grandmother, who is still alive and is a wonderful person, said, oh, great, we can take those in the bathroom. And like, <laughs> I didn't know, like, how could I have known that in the year how of our right Lord? She was? Yeah, in the year of our Lord, 1991 Prophetic. or so, that it would still hold true 30 plus years later. Um, so that is like a, a pivotal video game uh, memory. The other one that really sticks with me that I think is a little bit different is um, I grew up in a small town where the local town was the biggest attraction. It had a Godfather's Pizza. And at that Godfather's Pizza, they had the Simpsons arcade game. Oh, good one. Just like and this isn't the most important video game memory that I have. But I do remember sinking what had to be like ten dollars of quarters into that machine and like completely disregarding my family for a good 40 minutes <laughs> while I like fought my way to Mr. Burns on that that arcade cabinet. Um, and as far as comics go, I think the first comic I actually did own was uh, a copy of Blackest Night. Um, that was, oh, I think, nice. oh, wow. yeah, the I only really DC collect... comic to ever exist. Blackest Night. Only one. <laughs> if you would listen to this podcast, you'd know that. Um, yeah, I didn't really read comics. Um, growing up but i did watch you know the the amazing spider-man batman all that after x-men after school um, r.i.p kevin conroy yeah yeah, yeah r.i.p but yeah i'd say those are like the the pivotal like building blocks because for me video games like growing up as not the only child but i just always had sisters video games were like an escape that was just what i did to get away from like my family and then as I got older, it became a social outlet. Like video games have always been a social thing for me. It's just a, a fun switch over the years of I don't play a lot of single player video games. All my video games are multiplayer now because I want to connect with my friends and use it as a social outlet. Right on, right on. Uh, speaking of social outlets, that's a good transition to my next question, which is you are our resident rules lawyer and uh, D&D wet towel. And I wanted to ask you, um, I know maybe not everybody listening to this listens to our D&D content, but I was curious for you, Todd, when did you first start playing D&D and how did you start doing that? Yeah. To get um, that answer, Matt, you'll need to roll a perception check. <laughs> you, you might roll a two. Um, yeah. So listeners to this flavor text, uh, you may have listened to another recent flavor text, which is our Dungeons and Dragons flavor text. Um, so you probably got some of this already. But I started playing in uh, junior high, um, so I was around seventh or eighth grade. Um, I so one of my good friends, his mother and his father had played it when his father had been in the Navy, like his naval buddies would come over and they'd all play D&D and like drink. And so she was like, oh, yeah, Dungeons and Dragons, a lot of fun. And so I got the box set for Christmas in seventh or eighth grade. And my friends and I played all through high school and then. Played just a little bit with college in college with some of these guys, a little bit in grad school, and then now it is just a cornerstone of my personality and who I am. 
Um, I am the resident rules lawyer, and I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry (laughs) that the joke that I make, and I'll continue to make, the space in my mind that should be reserved for loved ones, birthdays, and weddings is there to tell you that, you know, what what your how your strength score factors into how far you can jump or that that dark vision extends 60 feet in low light and that there's a whole bit about if you're invisible how that affects what you can and cannot hit and what kind of disadvantage you might have and that just lives in my brain and you know if you're listening to this answer and you did just listen to our D episode you know how much of my life is just consumed by this and it's a, a cornerstone of my personality at 35. I was going to make the joke that um, birthdays and, and wedding anniversaries is offloaded to Facebook now, but that might not be true for too much longer. <laughs> I mean, yeah. hey, there's something to be said that as Twitter's burning down, no one is looking around and saying, why don't we go to Facebook? I mean, that's, that's yeah, really that saying something, I think. Wild. Yeah, I think I saw a survey the other day that said the metaverse currently has 38 active users so incredible you know and if 34 of them are developers that make the metaverse <laughs> things are going really well up and the other camp. four are um, zuckerberg's alternate accounts yeah, 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 yeah. yeah todd what is the most obscure D fact that you can just like rattle off the top of your head preferably one that wasn't even the in the flavor text even though oh, i wasn't see, there so i can't no no that's, i can't call no, you out that's on a it. good that's a good question um I I this I'm going to cheat and I am going to pick one that was in the flavor text. And it's only because it's so wild. It's that the Kuotua can't imagine their own gods and powers into existence if they all believe each other. Oh, my but God. A group, a group of Kuotua can get together and Wait. say, like, well, I think I think we have a God. And they're like, yeah, we, we do. I think I saw him. And suddenly it just exists. Which, they can, may I remind uh, you, is the central plot to critically claimed MMO <laughs> Final Fantasy fourteen. Oh, these, these I was going to say Peter Pan, because that's like the whole thing mm, with also fairies and Peter critically Pan. critically claimed MMO Peter Pan. Yes. <laughs> Peter Pan. It's, it's also the orcs in Warhammer 40K. We, yep, they, we did they, this all already, yeah. Cool. Hey, listeners, listen to our D&D flavor text. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't Pan. there that day. So, And also <laughs> Peter Pan. And also Peter Pan. Um, so here's my question for you then, Todd. You got into D&D at a really influential time. Obviously, it is something that has rotted your brain from the inside out. So I want to know, has your love of, of D&D, be it the way the game works, the way the world works, your your understanding of social structure from D&D, whatever, has that influenced the way that you feel about like other nerdy properties, other video games, other content you consume? Yeah, um, unfortunately, I think that I <laughs> I think that every single multiplayer game or even properties that involve teams I can consume at this point in time, I look at through roles um, the way that, you know, someone who has played critically acclaimed uh, MMORPG Final Fantasy Peter 14 Peter Pan. <laughs> <laughs> might look and say like, oh, we need, you know, this person is playing this role. This person's playing this role. Ever since kind of understanding that D&D is a team game and people play their parts, um, that is just how I look at everything that involves multiple people, um, whether it is a team based squad shooter or, you know, Dungeons and Dragons as it is or Overwatch. I'm always constantly thinking like, oh, like, okay, well, who's the support? Who's the tank? Who's who's, you know, going to be the damage dealer? Like, who's the glass cannon? Um, And I can thank D&D to that because our first uh team was a fighter a cleric 
um, I want to say a rogue and absolutely no real spellcaster. And so, um, <laughs> Unnecessary. Not, an ideal, not an ideal comp. It, Leaning heavy on the marshals, probably not great. Very, very much of a, very much a, a, an eighth grader's mentality. Yeah, when you're in eighth grade, you're like, nah, I don't yeah. want to cast spells. Also, back then, your wizard had four hit points at level one. So, like, yeah. not great. Um, but yeah, I think that D&D has made me look at the crunchier aspects of specifically video games um, to think how the pieces fit together, um, which I wouldn't admit this to my coworkers now. That's how I like look at work as well. Like I want to know how the pieces all fit together and how everything aligns and pushes in the same direction. And I can thank uh, Gary Gygax and Wizards of the Coast for that in like 2001-ish. What role in like what D&D role do you see yourself as in your workplace setting? Oh, man, I'm I'm <laughs> I'm more Chaz, the project manager that I want to say. that I, am. <laughs> um, I don't know. I think like to go back to fourth edition when you could have like a commander who is like a force multiplier trying to like move people and projects along in positive ways and encourage people. And then in the background, just be angry when things don't go right because other people have messed it up. Um, is that like a martial support class? Yep. Kind of. Okay. Yeah. That's what I would that, say. Um, I mean, the real answer tracks. I want to give is artificer and I've made a giant metal scorpion that goes to war for me against my enemies. That's the role I take in the workplace. Um, but I, I don't know. <laughs> His have coworkers a... <laughs> hate the giant metal yeah. scorpion. Yeah, bring your pet to work day is really something with a giant metal scorpion. Giant, giant metal scorpion in real life is the guy that microwaves fish at the office. <laughs> that's, that's who that is. I was going to say that's like a, a a wild magic sorcerer. That's the guy. <laughs> that's the guy that microwaves fish in the office. Hey, uh, come back to me later if you want more hot takes on who's what role in the office. I got them all. All right. Well, then pivoting a little bit away from D&D, uh, but onto something else that I know you're obsessively passionate about. I really mm -hmm. had to search for an adjective there for a second. Right. But uh, at what point did you go all in on the MCU uh, as I think the other 50% of this podcast that is the most into the MCU. Yeah. So prior to the MCU proper, I mean, I had, I had consumed all the movies that led up to like Avengers one um, in 2012, but like, I've also, I saw all the spiders, man. I saw <laughs> all the, all the X man. Um, I, I had seen all of those ex, ex people, <laughs> um, specifically some of those movies were still coming out when I lived in Florida. And so I would go to midnight releases by myself. Like, I think I saw first class in the movies, but in the theater by myself. Um, I think the turning point for me was probably Avengers in 2012. I remember going with grad student friends to go and see Avengers 2012 and being like this is dope all these movies all fit together like i am into it this is cool like what what else are they gonna do from here um and i i'm pretty sure since guardians of the galaxy which i know at least kyle and andrew um mm -hmm. we saw together mm -hmm. yeah i'm pretty sure i've seen every single movie as it's come out in theaters since then um prior to then like I didn't see the Dark World when it came out in theaters. I that was a that one that never was, actually came out in theaters. People don't people remember that. Wrong. <laughs> oh, it was in theaters. I was there. I also was there. 
I remember picking up Thor the Dark World at Walmart on Blu-ray. And I was like, huh. All right. <laughs> I, I could have sworn, sworn that, that movie only movie. exists on planes. <laughs> <laughs> on planes and in hotel rooms. Yeah. But yeah, I think I think that's when I got into it. Um, the, the whole world building they were doing was really dope. And ironically, to dunk on a different movie that I picked up on Blu-ray, Man of Steel was out around that time. And I picked up Man of Steel on Blu-ray and I was like, this movie is long and bad and doesn't do anything for me until the last 10 minutes. And that's when I was like, "Okay, Marvel's doing a cool thing. Like I'm I'm in to pay attention to what's going on here. And this, too, will become a major uh, cornerstone of my personality for years to come. To the point that my partner goes with me to all of these movies now, except for like Morbius. I didn't make (laughs) go to Morbius. (laughs) Good. Do you quiz her afterwards? Make sure she was paying attention. Does she have to fill out a little no, worksheet? No, like no, no. I, I, we. So I will watch all the Disney Plus shows. Most of the Disney Plus shows. Um, and that's where I'll like we'll watch a Disney Plus show and something really big will happen and I'll look for her response. <laughs> <laughs> and and I'll be like, okay, so that was really important because of this, this, and this. That, and she'll go, that oh, is a fool. All right, that cool. is a fool's errand, John. You will always be disappointed. <laughs> yep. As she looks I mean, up from Pinterest and says, Oh, cool. Ugh. Well, and <laughs> Who's that? because because I am who I am, like I'll watch them the morning they come out on Disney Plus. And then later we'll watch them together as a as a goddamn family. So you and start watching her as the the big 100%. moment comes up. You're like, uh, are you paying attention? Something cool's really gonna happen. Cool, right? Yeah, the big the big moment when White Vision shows up suddenly and is choking Scarlet Witch. I'm watching Shannon while she's half heartedly watching the show. <laughs> yeah, the Marvel Marvel way of life is just a, a common thing here in the Thomas household. Excellent. Well, those are the questions that I had pre-prepared for Todd. Kyle, Andrew, do you guys have anything you want to throw in there? Um, You mentioned, so you didn't read a lot of comics. Did you read any comics growing up? No, not really. Um, the <laughs> My my library of, of paper media that I consumed was approximately six years of Nintendo power. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I remember when I got rid of that stack, it was like yeah. a Tupperware tub like yeah. pounds of Nintendo power for a yeah. while. I was ripping out the, the three page uh, posters that they would give you and I'd hang them up in my room. Oh, same. Um, <laughs> absolutely same. My God. I, I, and for a brief time, I had Game Informer. It was just a little edgier than Nintendo power. Was what you got, Game Informer cause you was. got Game Informer when you signed up for uh GameStop's like, um, the rewards program. Yeah. For, there was like a three year window when you signed That's up. That's right. Got a, Got a year of Game Informer. So we all had Game Informer at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, Todd, what's your like go-to like Sunday afternoon MCU movie? Or superhero movie for that matter? Like Yeah, no, that's I that's a good question. Um the movie that I feel like I could just pick up at any point in time now and watch, um, Guardians of the Galaxy 2. I okay. just think that you can is... handle that much emotion on a Sunday afternoon. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's intense, man. Yeah, dude, well, I, I mean... gotta be like drunk if I want to watch like, Guardians too. <laughs> I I have I have enough daddy issues, but I don't need daddy issues on a Sunday afternoon. That's, that's too that's much. That's the thing. I'm I'm carrying some of those myself, and it's cathartic. Um, <laughs> that's my secret have... cap. <laughs> I to have a Todd, full... Todd likes to cry before he goes back to work on Monday. <laughs> to have a to have a full range of of. You know, uh, you think you've solved your daddy issue. It's become a bigger thing and you're now at war with it. And then it ends in a resolution and depression. That's just I need that. 
um, on different levels, but also not totally unrelated to daddy issues. Uh, Shang-Chi is just such a good watch, um, which I'm I'm going to put my my flag in the ground now. Best movie of phase four. Um, I think that that was I think it could probably fight for some podium spaces with uh, Spider-Man No Way Home. Um, and I would probably put Black Panther on the podium with it. But I think Shang-Chi was the best thing to come out of phase four so much so far. And so I could always watch that. I still think my favorite Marvel movie, though, is Winter Soldier. Um, Winter Soldier is, yeah, which again, is it's just just heavy enough that that I, I want to watch it because it's kind of got that spy thriller um, piece to it. Winter Soldier is is that like probably the heaviest that Marvel gets and it's it's good. And it's I'm hoping so I'm hoping they capture that energy with Secret Invasion. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think they're yeah. going to and I'm I'm really hopeful. Like I don't need some I don't need, you know, yuck 'em up jokes. I I need I need Sam Jackson almost dropping an F bomb and then punching a man in the face who turns into a green alien is what I need. You know you know what, Disney? Give us Give us our f bomb in that one. Yeah, like yeah, we get we get one. We, we can, can yeah, it. we can handle it. Look, yeah. I just I just watched ten episodes of Andor, and there's like mm-hmm. a non-zero amount of torture in Andor. Right, they, the the mouse can do an f bomb now. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there is a there is a moment in sorry talking about the mouse. There's a moment in the new Black Panther movie where there should definitely be blood on a weapon. There's a close-up yes. of the weapon, oh, and there's yeah. blood on that weapon. <laughs> there sure should be. And there's there's no blood whatsoever. And uh, when when new rock stars did a recap of it, they flashed a picture of Mickey Mouse over the spear. <laughs> <laughs> and I was Good. like, oh, that's right. This is a Disney property. I forgot. It might be the mouse. It might also be China. China has weird. I don't think blood. Disney cares quite as much anymore because multiple movies, uh, China isn't allowing them to be released out there, and so Disney's mm, okay. like, okay. okay. Sorry yeah. that we had two men kissing. Be mad, China. Deal with it. They they will. They will be <laughs> yeah. mad. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, while we are angering China, those are all of the questions I've got for you, Todd. Andrew, it's... Speaking of angering China, here's Speaking Andrew. of angering China. <laughs> Andrew. Is that, is that a good segue? Did I do it, everyone? It's hey, your turn. Hey, everybody. It's me. What's the most inflammatory thing you can say to the People's Republic of China? <laughs> mm. um, Let's get a good clean cut of this. <clears throat> Free Taiwan? That's <laughs> <laughs> so bad. Yeah. Um, okay. Anyway, hey, hey, Andrew, how you doing, man? Yo, I'm I'm here. I'm good. My brain my brain is is a puddle of mud. <laughs> much like much like early two thousands new metal band puddle of mud. <laughs> All right. Good. Uh, Andrew, what's your earliest memory of a comic or video game? Uh, so much like early two thousands new metal band puddle of mud. My <laughs> earliest memory is. <laughs> getting super mario world with the pack-in of the super nintendo Mm -hmm. um i imagine puddle of mud all had super nintendos Um, can you name one puddle of mud song right now please blurry all right you got one (laughs) that wasn't the one i was gonna go with um (laughs) much like my memory blurry (laughs) okay sorry i've got i've got brain fog um <laughs> hey everybody uh what am I, what question am i answering reverse earliest memory so i got a one, super, yeah i got a super i got a super nintendo when i was like three or four and uh that pretty much solidified it i was an only child we may have talked about this once or twice on the show <laughs> um so the super nintendo was uh my way of my my ability to play by myself 
Um, and uh, much unlike Todd, uh, I only played single player games, and that's where I developed a love for playing single player games, and that's always been like a way to escape. Um, so I, I had Super Mario World. I love Super Mario World. I played the whole goddamn game. But I think like I had, I mean, every kid, every little kid had video game consoles. I think where it really clicked was uh, playing games like Donkey Kong Country. Um, that one like really solidified. It was like, I'm going to devote my life to this. This is me as a person. Um, there was a, another video game that I, it wasn't until honestly like a couple years ago that I realized that I kind of remembered it was like core memory unlocking that I played a lot that I didn't realize that it was very influential. It was actually a Final Fantasy game. If you can believe it. I'm shocked. <laughs> oh, what? But I didn't real. But I was too young to realize what I was actually playing. Does anybody? Is anybody familiar with Final Fantasy Mystic Quest? No, I can't believe you no. even asked that. Like we might have been. I I thought maybe Todd might be. Fair. Hang on, let me let me look, look at looking it, it up. It, it is very much. It was very much created and built mm. as baby's first JRPG. I was gonna say I definitely had I had a PlayStation Final Fantasy that I mm. could not. I could not even like fathom how to start. Yeah. So yeah. like it went in one my PlayStation one. Right. So I was like, that's a lot of words. I'm not reading that. It, and then it was Mario RPG a year before Mario RPG came out. It, it 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 tailored to the same audience. It's it's not it's not on my radar. Okay. I'm I'm pretty sure I've seen these screenshots before, but this isn't it's not me. Anyway, the long story short is it, in the same vein as Mario RPG, it's a very like oversimplified find the four crystals, earth, wind, fire, mat, or water, earth, water, wind, fire, crystals, and, you know, travel the world and fight monsters. <laughs> earth, wind, and, and fire world. crystals are my favorite, <laughs> my favorite band. <laughs> and uh, travel the world and, you know, uh, fight monsters, yada, yada, yada. And that really had an impact and that I think really... Um, kind of whetted my appetite for like RPGs and like more story driven things like that. And then of course playing Final Fantasy 7 and Final Fantasy 8. Those really that's just when it just really just kind of set in motion. My earliest memory of a comic, um does anybody remember and I think this is the only comic I owned my entire 18 years of childhood. Um does anybody remember the Spider-Man Smoking Dare comic? <laughs> no. <laughs> Wait. Hang on. I'm going to... I'm, this is going to click for at least 75% of you, jerks. Yeah, I'm yeah. pretty sure I've seen this before. I'm too young Sp for this. It's a Spider-Man comic that everybody got in Dare, um, where Spider-Man fights like a big cigarette man. <laughs> <laughs> I think we were a big Dare school. I this We this were too, right. and I have no memory We of did this. not have Dare at my school. Ours was just a sheriff would show up once a week and just lecture us about drugs we didn't know were drugs until he Off told us they were drugs. Officer uh, Jenkins at my school, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, Spider-Man, Storm, and Power Man battle smokescreen. Spider-Man, Storm, and Power Man? What a wild combination of people. Well, Matt, it was the two the two black characters right. everyone knew from the comics at yeah, the time. And sure was Spider Man. Yeah. yeah, I'm gonna um, I'm gonna post this in the chat. Um, oh, it's incredible. Yeah, yeah. Please post it in chat because I, I can't you find right it. Here. I got you. You got me. Okay. So it's it's a reprint. It's a, like a reprint of that. And Smokescreen was this character that they would that they would bring <laughs> out. Um, How have we so not talked about Smokescreen before? Right. Yeah. Well, we have because he was invented by the 
the police to I, I, stop I, I kids mean, he, from... This has been, like, number three on my stupid Spider-Man villains list every single time. I just... There's stupider <laughs> villains. Like, it just... Yeah. He's just not the stupidest villain. Um, so, yeah, I remember, like, reading this comic, like, a thousand times because I loved Spider-Man. I just never had any comics. But that was, that was my first memory of a comic, albeit a very lame one. <laughs> <laughs> so... You talked a lot about Final Fantasy and JRPGs, and you have talked at length on the show about being an anime kid in the 90s and how that directed a lot about what you became interested in. So what was your gateway to Japanese entertainment and kind of walk us through the beginning of Andrew Weeb journey? Yeah, I'd love to. Um, so in addition, so after playing... Um, you know, games like those, the Final Fantasy, a couple of Final Fantasy entries that I mentioned and other like RPG-esque games that definitely like started getting an interest in that formula. And, you know, I, I liked playing a lot of the more story-driven games, which at the, especially at the time were more of the Japanese created games. And of course, like being a Nintendo fan, everything was coming from Japan, right? So th- those, there was just a big cross-section there. Um. Also, in the other side of the fence, enter the Toonami block. Oh, Ooh. man, the Toonami yeah. block. So for anyone who didn't, who isn't our age and didn't grow up around the time when we did, uh, Cartoon Network had a block on afternoons uh, conveniently from 2.30 to 4.30 right after school let out, specifically in the like when school's letting out period where um, they would play anime. And it was usually the four kids or Funimation super English dubs, you know? Oh, yeah. Uh, But including that block were um, some of the more formidable, especially for me, which are Dragon Ball Z and Sailor Moon. And those two bad boys would play back to back. And I would watch those every day after school for like three years straight. Can you timestamp that for me? Like, give me a year. Uh, Middle school. Give me a year. Middle school is not a number. (laughs) uh, 2000, 2001. Okay, cool. So I'm just... I'm really curious. I googled when did Toonami start. Mm-hmm. There are one, two, three, four, four shows on the first Toonami block to air, and I'm curious if you three mm-hmm. can guess what any of those four shows um, were. Can we get a year when mm-hmm. Toonami started? March seventeenth, nineteen ninety-seven. Okay. Um, I know Dragon Ball Z has to be one of them. Nope. Oh wow. no, it's nineteen ninety seven. That was too early for Dragon Ball Z. Mm-hmm. You're um I'm wrong. Yeah, I'm um, I'm already lost with I've that. only uh, heard of three of these four shows. One of these shows um, I've not heard of. Is Astro Boy one of them? Nope. How and about this, this wasn't this wasn't the block that did Space Ghost Coast to Coast, was it? No, no that was, that's okay. that's Adult Swim. Adult that's Swim. Adult Swim. Um, yeah, you're right. Speed um, Racer. Nope. Hmm. There is really only one show on this list. That I would I would categorize as truly anime. Was, was this when they were playing like reboot? Uh, Ooh, no, reboot's a good quest, a good guess though. Reboot um, was not on there. Um, hmm. um oh, what's I'm the not, other? Man, what's why, the, don't, why don't we have a what's reboot? The not, reboot? What's the I'm not deboot one? Um, dot hack sign is that? Wasn't that a game? I thought Dot Hack yeah, was a game. It was both. I'm going to talk about Dot Hack later. It was both. Okay, it's <laughs> early for Dot Hack. Let's move on. Anyway, to round it out, what it was it? Yeah. Um, Thundercats. Oh, yep. Okay. Oh. Cartoon Roulette, which I've never heard oh. of. And there were two episodes played during the block. Uh, this was the one I categorized as real anime, Voltron. 
Um, okay. Yeah. And then the real adventures of Johnny Quest. Oh, oh, Johnny Quest. Yep. Right. Okay. Yeah, Johnny Quest. Um, that absolutely in, lines in, up. Yeah. A couple years later, they changed tack and and they made them a little more like traditional animes or or animes that we recognize a little later. So Dragon mm-hmm. Ball Z, obviously, like fuck me up, Dragon Ball Z. Um, and then uh, Sailor Moon. I loved Sailor Moon. Sailor Moon's great. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's so much fun. And how often do we how often do we reference Tuxedo Mask on our show? <laughs> so often. <laughs> um, where thing where that really I, I think where that really went came to into a head was um after i got super into like the final fantasy series and other jrpgs by the time the ps2 came out that's where i really was like all in on i'm an anime boy now yeah that was when i was like i am andrew anime boy did the did your PS2 come with a flame button up shirt? <laughs> did you own a flame button up shirt? I Andrew? didn't, but I'm gonna tell you in this <laughs> I'm gonna tell you right now, I ran with the I rolled with a crowd who did. So <laughs> what's what was really funny was my um when I got into high school, I started watching more and more stuff through Comcast on demand. Because like Comcast was one of the first to kind of um we had Comcast in Pittsburgh. Comcast was one of the first to kind of pioneer like on-demand TV. So in 2002, I had access to like a ton of anime. So I was able to watch like episodes of Neon Genesis Evangelion and all these things without like bootlegging it, which was great. Wow. Um, which was a really cool nice. opportunity. And I don't it just it just existed, um, which was really cool. So I got to catch up on a lot of that stuff. And then I fell into an anime crew. <laughs> <laughs> a group of, of problematic bachelors <laughs> that he calls problematic the squad. Bachelors. Um, and and you know how like every school has a weird table. Yeah, I was. Yeah. That was the weird table. If you and, don't know yeah. about the weird table, it's because you sat at the weird table. <laughs> That's, well, I I both knew about the weird table and also sat at the weird table. I dabbled, and uh, I I hung out with a group of dudes who were very much into anime, like. They were the kind of guys like they're nice people, but they were the kind of guys who had like anime girls as their little, uh, you know, avatar on message boards. And oh, they had Andrew. all the swag and they would go to all the, <laughs> on the conventions. So I went to a couple conventions in high school. I went to my first anime convention sophomore year of high school. It was Takosho Khan in Pittsburgh. Teko is steel in J- Japanese. Ooh, oh, they really branded that for the city. Oh. They sure did, Matt. They sure did. <laughs> um, it was in a. It was right outside the day. It was in the David L. Lawrence Convention Center. It was a pretty decent That's con. A big convention, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I I got I came home with like a stack of VHS tapes, you know, as you do. <laughs> and then uh, <clears throat> I have a distinct memory because my dad would never let me hear the end of it for years to come. But after we came home. My my one friend who was especially weird uh, looked at me very serious and he said, next time, next time you have to dress up. <laughs> and what happened next time? I dressed up. <laughs> who, who did you dress up as, Andrew? How spiky was your hair, Andrew? Tell us. Could well, you be my angle or my devil? <laughs> <laughs> um, I also tried to spike my hair once. It did not go well. I walked into school and everyone was like, what have you done? Like, <laughs> right. Um, so uh, Full Metal Alchemist was and probably still is one of my favorite anime of all time. Um, I 
have never been a costume guy and I never enjoyed dressing up even as a kid. So I've always been the like half-assed costume guys. Well, uh, my senior year, was it senior year? Junior year, I went on a ski trip with my church group and I broke my arm, broke my wrist on the bunny hill <laughs> because I'm not very good at outside things because I had a Super <laughs> Nintendo and Super Mario World. Right. Because you were All in an anime it. troupe. Because I was in an anime <laughs> squad. Um, so I had this like uh not cast, but like uh like like ace cuff or whatever. Um, well, the main character of Full Metal Alchemist doesn't have an arm. He has a metal arm. So I had Andrew. my mom spray paint Andrew. this cast. Good. <laughs> and that was Good. my metallic arm. And I wore an, a, a red coat. You at, you at some point slapped your hands together and did a series of finger points and then touched something pretending yeah, I, to turn it into something else. Because we have been paid to do this episode, <laughs> I legally am obligated to tell you yes. <laughs> uh, wow, that's really Next good. Next question. <laughs> well, I, I want to keep on this anime train for a second, and that's yeah, the sure. last time I'll ever say that sentence in my life. But uh, wow, I went off the anime train, actually. <laughs> You're in a I suplex was... that anime train. <laughs> I was curious. Six reference. I got. I, you know, we got. We, we, it. We Shut got up. It. We got Let it. me ask the question. <laughs> I was curious uh, if there were any ways that your experience as an anime kid in the '90s influences the way that you interpret or consume media today. I think it does. Um, one of the problems with growing, like, it was one of the double-edged sword, I guess, of kind of being like growing up and watching anime only on Toonami and then like going to this convention and meeting these people and learning that like, holy shit, like Dragon Ball Z is like not even the gateway drug. It's like, we don't talk about it. Dragon Ball Z are like, is like the, 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 um, the black owls or like, what are the like little, like it, this, this reference, I'm losing it. doesn't matter. Let's, Scratch this. What just happened? Brain. No, I'm 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 leaving it. I want to know. <laughs> Sorry, I've got COVID it's, brain. It's, he's he's saying Dragon Ball Z is too normy. Dra- Dragon Ball Z for- isn't even a gateway drug. It's like the it's like the the uh it's like a clove cigarette. Oh, comparatively. Okay. Yeah. All right, got it. Yeah. yeah. It's it's not even baby's first anime. Yes. It's right. super weenie hut junior. Yes. Um, <laughs> but like there's all these things, and it's it's like it's almost decision overload. Right. Like there's so many things is like I don't I don't know where to start because there's so many things that I that I have to watch. I will never consume all of this. Therefore, I'm not going to consume any of it. And I think that that, that is legitimately my experience yeah, with right. anime f- and that, around that. And time. that has rung true in my current life so often because now we all f- find ourselves like very much like me opening up my Comcast app for the first time and being like, holy shit, there's so much here that I've never heard of. Open up any streaming app and you're like, holy shit, there's so much here. Mm-hmm. I am never going to watch all of this stuff. Therefore, I'm going to turn this off and just go play Overwatch 2. <laughs> <laughs> I love that energy. And it actually like moves on really well to my next question, which was to ask you, in contrast to Todd, you are in the... of this podcast that is not like fully lost in the MCU sauce. And so I was just curious if you could talk about your experience 
as a casual Marvel fan who has largely been drugged through the MCU by your friends? Yeah, um, that's I love this question. I really do um, <laughs> because I I think that's that's accurate. It's very valid. There's a lot of the Marvel movies that I probably would not have seen, and I didn't see until we did this podcast. The Winter Soldier was like one of the first Marvel movies that I saw in theaters. Mm-hmm. Wow, um, which is yeah, wild to think about. Which is wild. Yeah. I saw the Avengers mm-hmm. because like I, because it was an experience. Because like, everybody saw right. the Avengers. Because everybody yeah. saw the Avengers. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I remember distinctly my my dad and I going to see the Winter Soldier. I was like, I have no idea what's going on. This is awesome, and it's still my favorite. <laughs> and, and again, like it's my favorite, my favorite of of them, which is a really good movie. Um. So, you know, when growing up, though, I had a very like I loved comic characters. I loved Marvel characters. I loved the I mean, I love, love, love the X-Men comic or Mm -hmm. um, art cartoon. Excuse me. Sorry. I love the X-Men cartoon. That was my favorite one. I like Spider-Man. I liked uh, Batman. But X-Men was absolutely my favorite. And I was like ride or die X-Men. And then I started playing Spider-Man video games. So I played the Spider-Man N64 game, which was really good. Right. And I played a lot of the Spider-Man Super Nintendo. There's like three Spider-Man Super Nintendo games that are all pretty decent. They're beat-em-ups. So growing up, X-Men, Spider-Man, ride or die. So when the the movies came out, I was all in. Like I loved the Tobey Maguire movies. I was a Spider-Man 3 apologist, still kind of am to this day. <laughs> Um, big bully Maguire of. fan. Big bully Andrew Maguire Anderson. fan. But once I think the thing that killed it for me is you guys are gonna laugh when I saw X Men Three: The Last Stand. Really? Oh, wow. I left that theater and I was like, never again. Really? <laughs> it was my villain origin story. I hated that movie so much. I never oh, it watched bad. a not it was another a bad movie. I never watched another X Men movie until last year when I watched like when I caught up on First Class. Apo- like apocalypse like all the all the next ones that was the i had never wa- i didn't watch any other x-men stuff until any then. of you telling me that you didn't feel something when wolverine had to stab jean gray spoiler alert i, I hated that movie so a, much you know why because i love cyclops and yeah, yeah movie they, did they, did, they did cyclops, dirty. cyclops pretty did dirty. cyclops dirty mm-hmm. i i'm gonna disagree with you todd and maintain the only good thing that to come out of that movie is the um, meme reference to the I'm the juggernaut bitch uh, <laughs> YouTube video that yeah. they crammed in there. Yeah, that um, was Because so it's dumb. so stupid. The only thing good that, that truly came out of X-Men 3 was X-Men 2, and that was Nightcrawler. Nightcrawler's role <laughs> yeah. in X-Men 2, who then that actor didn't come back because he launched a line of cologne. Oh. Oh. Interesting. Eh. Too busy. I- I think to 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 accurately answer your question, Matt, and and to to refocus a little bit on the MCU, that's like more of that or that's like me, like historical origin story. I think I have now experienced the MCU both as someone who is very much on the outside and very much on the inside. And in this last year and a half, I have enjoyed all of the Marvel stuff so much more. So much more than I enjoyed anything in phases one or two on the first watch. And I think a lot of that is context. Is is now, you know, I when when I saw Civil War for the first time, I was so confused. I'm like, who are these people? I had never seen Wanda Maximov in anything. And I was like, and and that that to me, I felt so much more burnout on Marvel Contact back then. When it was just like this kind of who's who of good looking people just beating up aliens. But like now, you know, 
now with all the content I'm like invested in the characters, it genuinely doesn't make me feel nearly as burnt out. Now mm-hmm. I feel like I want to go do more. I just read um, recently. I read through like two years worth of the Miles Morales uh, Spider-Man oh, run, wow. which is really fucking good. It's really um, good. But like now, interacting with this stuff makes me want to dive in more when it never did before. Right on. That's really cool. That's awesome. That's to very hear. cool. Yeah. Well, those are the questions that I had for Andrew. Todd, Kyle, do you have anything to throw in? Same same question I posed to Todd. What's your Sunday afternoon MCU movie or superhero movie? Um, that is doesn't have to be Spider Man Three, but just the dancing <laughs> scene. Spider Man Three, just just the part where he says, "I'm gonna put some dirt in your eye." Just yeah. that part over and over again. Uh, I think it's honestly probably one of the Captain Americas. Mm-hmm. I, I think those those I, any of those have a lot of good rewatch value. Yeah, yeah. Guardians One, <laughs> not Guardians <laughs> Two. I can't take that emotional ta- that emotional toll. What is the worst three Eternals. class D and D party you could put together. <laughs> the worst, wait, the worst what? The worst, the worst, the three worst D and D classes you could put together in a group. Uh, three rangers. <laughs> <laughs> Boom, roasted. Um, have you read any manga, Andrew? Yeah, I, not in a long time. I did in high school. Um, back when, I, back yeah, at your weebiest. Back in the, back in the at the weebiest. I haven't currently as an adult um mostly just because like i'm not buying books (laughs) (laughs) did you buy a book did you read like series i i'm i don't want to say entire series because i know like mangas are yeah manga unendingly long yeah manga's really um, hard um manga's really hard like read what you could get well and, and manga's tough because it's not like American comics, which are episodic. Like right. manga, I mean, you, they are very much like serial. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, they're like One Piece where you they have their written arcs, but they're still very serial. Um, most of my manga I borrowed from friends. Okay. Um, and 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 they were a lot of like short runs, so they would be like seven issue manga. Sure. And they were mostly romantic. Stand out. Ooh. Uh. Yeah, there was a there was one that I read that honestly was really good. It was it's called Love Hina, and it was a really popular like romance one. Uh, but it was like comedy romance. But it was romance like a boy. It was romance for a teenage boy, you know. Like, sure, I'm in a school full of hot girls. But I loved it when I was 14 because I wanted to yeah, live in a school of hot the girls. Tar- and be you like, were the target <laughs> audience, <laughs> exactly. If if okay, so you had mentioned your cosplay of Full Metal Alchemist. <laughs> yep. As someone who at age thirty five does want to go back and consume that media, yeah. Um, what what would you suggest? Because the, what there's Full Metal Alchemist, there's Full Metal Brotherhood. Yeah. I don't know what the difference is. So actually, and this is one of the manga that I read digitally. I read the entire manga of Full Metal Alchemist and watched both uh, shows. So <clears throat> manga, we've talked about this before, but a lot of almost every anime anime adaptation anime show is an adaptation of a manga mm-hmm. and there's a running joke where a, a an anime adaptation will usually start after the manga and end before it because mm-hmm. just like game of thrones like it's it's quicker to do a show than it is to write a book right. walking dead whole thing got and it mm-hmm. so the idea yep. of filler comes from anime adaptations because they have to fill the time while the manga catches up it's the powering up 
episodes. It's the powering up episodes. Full Metal Alchemist, the anime, is the original adaptation of the manga, but it veers off to the side. Instead of doing filler, they just created a different story. Mm. Okay. So it was the, Full the Metal, Game of Thrones route. It's the Game of Thrones <laughs> route. So Full Metal Alchemist and the manga run in line until like season two, and then it just goes burp and just does its own thing. <laughs> Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood is the official adaptation of the full manga. Gotcha. So if you were okay. to line up Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood and the original Full Metal Alchemist series, they are identical for the first seven episodes. The first seven episodes of Brotherhood are like the first 13 or 14 episodes of the original uh, anime adaptation. Oh, okay, that's cool. Yeah. Okay. Ah, so I, the answer, I recently... a lot of people, sorry, a lot of people no, say good. watch both. They both, I think they are both very good. If you're only going to watch one, watch Brotherhood. Because I, I recently saw um, uh, one of them TikToks of the, <laughs> of the Chimera episode. Oh, boy. Um, and I was like, well, I got to go back now. <laughs> I, need, I, need to, yeah. I need to hurt again. So that, so, and, and I think you, did you see the, Chim- the Chimera episode exists, exists in both. The mm-hmm. Chimera episode in Brotherhood is like episode three. And it's oh. like, it is the, it is the mid-season arc of, of the first, of the original anime. Gotcha. So, All right. Well, yeah. I have learned more about anime than I came in here expecting to. But it's a flavor text after fine. all. It is. It is a flavor text after all. We're going to take a quick break, and we will be right back with Kyle and I's Chance in the Hot Seat. Oh, that song is so fun and wholesome. What is that? This? Oh, it's just the theme song to that horror game, Doki Doki Literature Club. Doki Doki Literature Club? I've never heard of that. That name doesn't sound much like a horror game. What? You mean you never saw the game being played on YouTube for like that entire year everyone was talking about it? No. Why? Oh. Well, in that case, it's a cute little indie dating sim about a high schooler who joins an after-school literature club by run by four very anime girls and is definitely not fucked up in any way. So stop asking. Cool. So what makes it a horror game? I'm going to have to play this stupid game to find out, aren't I? And... None of you jerks are going to tell me why it's fucked up until I see the thing, aren't you? Okay, yeah. Um, when when are we streaming it? Glad you asked. Tune into twitch.tv slash debate this cast on Tuesday, November 29th and Wednesday, November 30th to watch us watch Todd play through Indie Darling Doki Doki Literature Club. The carnage will begin at 7 p.m. Eastern. Cool. All right, welcome back to this flavor text about us, proving once again the real content was the friends we made along the way. Kyle, it's your turn to sit in the debate this hot seat, so let me ask you the ceremonial first question. What is your earliest memory of a comic or video game? 
Um, I'll I'll do both because um, I think they're a few years apart. Uh, my earliest memory of a video game, I I may have played like an NES or a um, SNES at friends' houses before this, but in kindergarten, um, my kindergarten teacher suggested to my mom that I get that she get me a game a video game of some kind to improve my handwriting i remember Um, this story (laughs) yeah this is this is the like the most origin story origin story um so my my i i was a a a smart for my age kid um i you know i read a lot i would do well on like computer assignments but i would do abysmally on like written assignments because i my handwriting was and still is garbage um so my teacher was like why don't at a parent teacher conference is like i've heard video games can help improve that hand-eye coordination and he'll it'll improve his handwriting that teacher was a sleeper cell (laughs) doing it for Um, everyone that teacher is actually uncle actually worked at nintendo (laughs) yes um so i got a at got a second hand um original brick game boy from my cousin who um did not play it much um i think i got tetris Yoshi and like maybe Super Mario Bros like the the Game Boy one um and I loved Tetris. I played so much Tetris. Oh, I think I had Space Invaders too, like a lot of those like just very early arcade ports. Um and I fell in love with video games and my handwriting did not improve because of it. So that teacher Bummer. might also be a hack. Um <laughs> Um, from there we got my, like, because, because we were chewing through batteries so much, my dad looked into other games and we got, um, I think a secondhand NES from my mom's sister of all people or like through her, um, which came with Duck Hunt and a different Mario and um a track game that had that used the dance dance revolution pad so i had like a ddr pad for the <laughs> oh, nes oh, I think I know not ddr about. yeah yeah um and then we got it's a track game and field gear. right yeah track mm-hmm. and field and then we got a game gear and um the the revelation there was the game gear could plug in and not chew through six double a batteries <laughs> in, but if you didn't plug it in hours. oh that thing chewed through batteries like a yeah. motherfucker um so i played game gear tethered to a wall for a while and then um finally in 1998 we got pokemon red and then after derek saved over my first pokemon file we got a Yikes. pokemon blue mm. and then we got um game boy we each got game boy colors when um something else came out i don't it wasn't for or maybe it was when he got blue we each got game boy colors and that was that that as they say was history um my first comic book memory comic memory um is actually is originally like the sunday paper like i read the funnies in the sunday paper all the time hmm. I had um, multiple um, Garfield collections. Um, huh. Calvin and Hobbes. I read Calvin right. and Hobbes collections whenever I went to the, the library. I, I guess now that you mentioned it, I had like seven Garfield books. I never <laughs> I once in my so life many considered books. Garfield in the same canon as like a comic, but you're right. Yeah, they're right. comics. They're absolutely. It's the same, it's the same medium. Yep, sure um, is. But my first like superhero comic book um, 
my dad got for me, I think we were just like out running errands one day and he needed something to shut me up. Um, Cause I think <laughs> at that point in my life, I was like carrying around joke books and reading these like, Oh no. At, like, just reading these joke, like God awful jokes from the, 30s through 60s um, to anyone who <laughs> somebody, would listen to somebody me. just got back from the scholastic book fair yeah 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 so so my dad to, in an effort to shut me up got me a handful of like superman comics um and this was like i don't i don't know the year offhand but i but it is very easy to place because it was the period of time where they revamped superman's look so he was blue and had electric hair and looked absolutely nothing like Superman that we know and love. Um, oh. It was like a turn of the millennium type. It was like a Y2K rebranding. They were sure. like, we were like, we got to make Superman cool for the year 2000. And they, they, he had a blue and white suit and electric hair. And then in, in six months, they were like, everyone hates this and scrapped it. And he had a mullet for a little I have, bit. I've never um, seen this. Yeah, this I'm Googling. Amazing. I'm furiously right. Googling it right now. If somebody finds it, put it in the dock. All right. Yeah, put it in the dock. Um, and I have no idea what happened in that in those like two or three issues I had because it was like the middle of a run. Um, he literally, like, like I said, he literally was just like, and throw those on my order so that my son stops reading these god awful jokes to me in the in the <laughs> truck. Um, and from there, I like didn't super touch superhero comics until um one of my friends in boy scouts like was a big comic book nerd and i got into x-men real big through them um and then as a latchkey kid i would find myself in the library after school um the public library not our school library um which had a nope that's not it that's, that's not it no that's he's, a different his, blue his <laughs> face is like white like oh. like not oh. not caucasian but like white um i'll find it hold okay. on <laughs> got it incoming what did you search for blue electric superman yeah. okay my favorite band <laughs> <laughs> my favorite gatorade oh. oh wow that is dumb yeah <laughs> like static shock um, it does look like so, static shock so from there, I like I read every comic in our in the Harrison Public Library, which was a lot of X Men collections, a lot of Justice League collections, um, su some Spider Man collections, and then in high school, um, when I got a car, my high school and my home were about half an hour apart, and I was in theater, which started like two hours after school let out. So I would not drive home between school and theater. I would go to borders and like pull a, a comic anthology off the shelf, find a corner where the employees wouldn't find me quickly and read through the entirety of the Marvel ultimate comics that way. Um, that was my like, 16 and 17 i did that um and yeah uh i was a very early wikipedia reader i would pour through these like comic like the, the comic links th on wikipedia and learn that way 
Um, I would frequently check out the Marvel encyc- like hero encyclopedia and just like memorize that. So that's that is my my comic books history. Very cool. Right on. I like that. Yeah, I I never would have thought of newspaper comics as like that same gateway, but it right. definitely is. Uh, can you draw a line? You talked a little bit about how you got into Pokemon when you were young. Can you draw a line directly from your first experiences with Pokemon to the types of non-Pokemon games that you enjoy today? Yeah, um, a little bit because like Pokemon stands alone kind of as its own genre in a lot of ways but um i can definitely like point to the things i like about pokemon and what attracts me to other things and other games from that for the most part i have not liked a single pokemon like clone um any attempt in the early 90s early 2000s to like make a new pokemon game was bad and um I think the most successful attempt was recently like Yokai Watch, and that's just like I'm I'm thirty I'm a thirty year old man. I'm not gonna get into a new kids kids like monster collecting game. I'm sorry. Um but what I really liked about Pokemon was le- not the collection aspect so much as the like personalization uh aspect. Um even more so than like any other than other RPGs at the time with like the class system. It was just like you get to pick your six Pokemon and they don't have to be good because it's an easy game. So like you can just pick your six Pokemon and like that's your that's your personality. It was very much the like mm-hmm. like I was a I was a Charizard, level one hundred Charizard boy. Like I <laughs> um and so games with that level of like customization and like like role selection are what really get me these days. I love a good skill tree. Um mm-hmm. yeah, I, uh, it, and it's got to be a good skill tree, not like a like you get three <laughs> choices and they all like they make one one aspect of gameplay better like um like the Skyrim skill tree is very good in my book because it's like you can they, you can pick any of them and it doesn't lock other ones out is a big part of that. Um, but that's the, those are the kinds of games I like ones where you, you, um, you have that level of customization. Um, it is not fast paced. You can set the game down on a menu <laughs> and like nothing will happen and you can come pick it back up. Cause, um, I have ADHD, so I'm often doing three things at once and I hate, dying because i watched 30 seconds of tv while i was playing what, my game. what you're describing is any switch game <laughs> any switch, <laughs> right? yes yeah pretty much um hey, i've yeah. kyle have we done the what's your partner pokemon thing before on a previous like pokemon episode i don't mm. think so and um i mean the easy like the easy answer is like charmander like i'm i'm a i'm ride or die for for the charmander evolution line um I I do not excel at the answering that like who's your favorite superhero what's your favorite yeah. Pokemon question because I, I love them all they're all my children and like yeah. um but yeah like I love I love Charmander I really like the the Scyther line too that's yeah. another one that's really stood out to me wait Scyther has evolutions now yeah Scizor. he's got two now he's got two now yeah. um he's got uh, Cle- an evolution from uh, yeah. Scizor. i knew about Scizor. cleavor from arceus 
from what? Arceus. Look out, leave, look up Cleavor. He rules. Yeah. Wow. Um, I really like um, like Staryu and Starmie. Those are very cool, cool. like alieny Pokemon. I love. Um, but yeah. Um, the other thing I really liked, uh, like about Pokemon that has gone away in the more recent games is the like the slice of life slash like throwback to like pre-industrial Japan nostalgia. Yeah. Um it's it's so it's such a part of the early games and I love it so much where it's just like mm-hmm. you're a guy going out catching bugs. Like it it's, it's very, a guy who, uh, it's very ghibli. Very ghibli. Very ghibli. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, I had a third question for you, but you kind of answered it already. So I'm going to ask you your own question. What's your Sunday afternoon MCU movie, Kyle? Mm-hmm. Um, my Sunday afternoon MCU movie is probably Thor Ragnarok, but um, Winter Soldier, um, any of the Iron Mans, really, and the first Avengers all also like make the cut but like big, lately big, if big mickey rourke fan <laughs> real big <laughs> mickey rourke um well i mean there's a russian lot... accent really do it for me <laughs> there's a lot of a lot of lines that can be drawn between mickey rourke whiplash and kyle's favorite superman this blue electric guy this blue electric <laughs> superman um well no what it, what it really is is um if if we're picking what i really truly love about iron man 2 it's the elon musk cameo tying it back to our opening right. about Twitter. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> nice. i was gonna say anything featuring justin hammer just give me more justin hammer yes yep. yes i'm not done with sam rockwell yet no <laughs> we'll see him in the thunderbolts I don't know why. Or I think Armor that, Wars, I think, that's is probably, probably more that's likely. Either one, would you say? Thunderbolts. Hey, <laughs> so anyway, uh, Kyle, I want to complete what I have come to know as the trifecta of your personality and talk about trading card games. So Ooh. we know that you love both Magic and Pokemon, but could you list any other TCGs you've invested time, money, or both into and talk just a little bit about your journey through being a nerd on the TCG side of things. Yeah, so I'll start with my journey, and then I'll, like, touch on some other TCGs I've played, because, like, for a while, it is, it is like, a little bit of Pokemon, this much magic, and then, like, some other t- TCGs the as, Kyle, like... people can't see. Yeah, that's going to come across awesome <laughs> on audio podcast. You, you got... You got... I did the... The fish was this big motion, guys. Um, <laughs> um, so I, I got into Pokemon like every other um, elementary school boy got into Pokemon when the boom happened. And it was just, like, you get that dopamine hit of cracking open a pack, smelling the factory sealed cards and praying that you opened the hundred dollar card Charizard. Um, and I loved it. I had no idea how to play it for like the first two years until the game boy game came out and we all learned. And then immediately all my friends were like, yeah, we don't want to play by the real rules. We want to play war with Pokemon cards. (laughs) Um, so like that was a bummer to me. Um, and then my school banned Pokemon cards like every other school in in America at the time because kids were fighting and stealing and and conniving to take the valuable cards from uh, from from smaller lesser kids. So that got banned, and my friend group was like, 
hey, here's this cool loophole. Um, it's a game made by the same company called Magic the Gathering that they didn't ban. Um, so I got into Magic that way, and um, I was I was hooked as soon as I learned how to play that. Um, mostly because right around the same time, I got a um, a PC for my like 13th or 14th birthday uh, from my parents being like, you're going to go into high school soon. You should have a, a way to research and type papers. And I used it instead <laughs> to read every single article written about magic that I could find <laughs> oh um, over and over and over and over again. Um, Wizards, Wizards of the Coast magic was like actually a pretty early adapter of like um reaching your fans through the internet because surprise it's made by a bunch of nerds and nerds love the internet um so like their whole thing it's their whole thing yeah um so i i like read about like upcoming sets like cool deck ideas cool new ways to play but also in that i got a surprising amount of like game theory like lessons and like essays written by the people who like make the game i love so much so like i would just i just consumed these articles um on wizardsofthecoast.com and it's actually um like it's pretty sad to me that like somewhere around 2010 2012 they like revamped the site and it killed a whole bunch of old articles. Oh, like they're like bummer. they're like unreadable now because like their code is all spread out through them. You think you could and do it on the Wayback Machine? I've I have tried, and like some of them work, but also like there is one. There's one where like the the head designer of Magic wrote this like fifty. It's a fifty word article on like brevity is the whole point of it so like that's why it's 50 words <laughs> and but each of the well it gets even more meta where each of those 50 words is a hyperlink to an article oh. about like what that word means in the context of making magic Ugh. it's okay, so nerd. meta and yeah. nerdy and awesome and it's like absolutely completely broken um so like it's um that's my like my like great loss from my childhood is that <laughs> Mad the Wizards of the Coast revamped the magic website and I can't read any of my real library of Alexandria situation. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so like that that is that is my connection to magic. Um, I still like view a lot of media through the five color lens of magic and like what the philosophy behind the colors means, and I like view characters through that. So that's always gonna be with me. Like I was in I had an hour van ride for for work the other day, and I like just vibed out on like, wonder what color this character is, and like thought about undecided, and then like moved on to another one, and that was like my whole hour drive that morning. Um, so that's yeah, that's magic. Um, I did I've I did tournaments for a little while, and towards the end of high school, I had a friend um, who had more disposable income than me and was easily influenced by my my playing of magic that he like we we helped each other we did tournaments um i think i i got like top 32 in a big like statewide in tournament in indiana one year and that's that's about the peak of that to tie it Um, back he was the cal ripkin to your ricky bobby 
There's a sick sure. Talladega Knights reference there <laughs> yeah. for you, Todd. Wow. That is good. Um, um, and then it f- fell off for a little bit in college because, like, going up and being like, do you want to play Magic the Gathering as a as a college kid is I think you mean, embarrassing. Do you want to play Magic the Gathering? <laughs> yeah, that's, exact, that, that's a very good impression of, of me of freshman you, year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, got him. Got him. Until um, I lit... I lived in our fraternity house um, the last two years. I lived with an, enough other nerds that also played that we like got a weekly magic night going for a while until um, one of our other roommates ruined it by being a toxic player. I, but, I really want to um, I want to paint this picture because this was the year after Andrew and I graduated and we weren't in on this at least weren't initially i don't know if Andrew no you guys were in. you guys were busy being different nerds right. well, playing different league, league of legends, legends. no the, but the this point. was but this was this was the domino effect that led to me me being at mire a mire at three in the morning with kyle yes. buying magic cards or yep. learning how to double scan the the packs of magic cards so you'd only yeah. pay for two of the four of them well, and know, i looked at kyle what, and said kyle what am i doing with my life <laughs> he said you're here in fire with me Where, you here's, you re, uh, me not understanding that you recent gra- college grad andrew were like having a crisis right. i was just like we're playing magic <laughs> we're playing magic dude so here's my thing i remember going over to the house one day as all cool alumni do once you graduate mm-hmm. and walking in and seeing a kitchen table with just what I imagine is the Scarface pile of cocaine version <laughs> of magic cards just being cut up and divvied between a couple dudes. And then suddenly three more dudes show up and you all put chairs around the table and started putting decks together because yeah. you were going to play six person magic. And I was yep. like, I can't be here. I can't watch yeah. this. You were, you sure were there. Great. Um, <laughs> so, so from, there after graduation my like magic playing dropped off entirely i tried to play magic online on my like crappy 2008 dell laptop um for a while and like just couldn't couldn't hack it slash was spending too much money trying to keep that that flame alive kyle was just Um, trying to get a fix wherever he could get it yeah legitimately which leads us to the next big like trading card game i played was hearthstone Mm. And I got into that so heavily because it could be played on an iPad, which I happened to have at the time. And I played Hearthstone more or less from its like creation to I dropped off during the pandemic. Um, It just like um, got away from not got away from me, but like the the game was different enough. They weren't making cards that I liked sets that I liked enough and I dropped off there um and I picked up magic again shortly after that because MTG Arena came out and I could play that on Mac so I was back back on the magic train for a while and now it's all Marvel Snap baby yeah <laughs> there it is um other than that we um like Derek the the progenitor of this flavor text and i did play Yu-Gi-Oh for a while when Yu-Gi-Oh was popular um it i i had fun playing it because i do like trading card games it was never like my super cup of tea um part of that is because like high level Yu-Gi-Oh is like a th- two turn game tops um it's one of those game like high level Yu-Gi-Oh especially at the time was like one 
turn zero where like you would draw each player would draw their hands and immediately know the winner. Isn't that so, the like you, I play Pot of Greed? I was going to say, but did you play yeah. Pot of Greed? <laughs> I did play a lot of Pot of Greeds yeah. and um, knew how good Pot of Greed was because of all of the game theory I had learned <laughs> <laughs> from my time reading Magic the Gathering articles. Um, we played the Digimon trading card game for a mm. little bit as well. That is wonky and weird to play. It's really um, it's, hard. It's really hard. It's another one I don't super like because you like you you need a play mat to like mm. learn it and play it properly and like cards move through zones. Um it actually would act um would work well as a mobile game now, but like it it wasn't part of part of the appeal of like magic and Yu-Gi-Oh and the Pokemon trading card game is like you can throw a deck in a bag and you can you can, yeah, you don't need a bunch of stuff. It's time to yeah. duel anyone, anywhere, at any time. Someone. <laughs> um, I I have played some other digital, like trade, not trading card games because they weren't tradable, but collectors card games. Um, there was oh, I forget this one. There was a a Magic Pro kind of left Magic for a while to create a mobile game um, that was really fun. You played card. Um, you played cards, and as you played them, they, like, uh, evolved, for lack of a better word. So it was, like, very much a digital-only game, and it it was a lot of fun, but it was, like, me and 500 other people max playing it, so it just died off. Yeah. Um, There was another one that I played during my Hearthstone years called Eternal that was very much trying to, like was as close to a magic clone as it could be without violating copyright law. Um, that was a lot of fun because it was a magic clone. It was just like magic light, poor man's magic. Um, it was a lot of fun. It was very easy to play for free. Um, so I didn't have, I didn't sink a ton of money into it. Um, but it is now also like gone off the rails. I check back in on it every, every so often. And it's like, Oh yeah, this is just busted and broken now um and there was another one i played for a little while around the time i got into hearthstone called duelist with a y um that was like a combination where's card- the y um okay yeah um i was having a hard time with that right then and that was a combination like card battler and um like um mini fig battler like so you're your card, you'd build a deck of of these monsters, and then you would move them around a field and like um, trap your opponent into winning or something. Um, also, very short lived. It was just gone one day when I tried to log on through Steam. <laughs> um, also, fortunately, didn't sink a ton of money into it, so that's not a big deal. A, but yeah, it's, it's a money laundering scheme. Yeah, it's a money laundering <laughs> scheme. Um, no, it was just like it's hard to get a non magic game um off the ground especially if you don't have a well-known ip behind it like marvel or blizzard so um it just it just couldn't couldn't hack it against hearthstone at the time was the big thing right on well that is all of my questions for you kyle unless todd andrew you have anything you want to add um kyle if you were a magic color what color would you be or a series of um I like to think of myself as blue green. Green blue, actually. 
Um, green is the very like, like the world is as it is, and we all accept that. It's the very like accepting like Zen color, mm. and then blue is the like figure everything out, solve the puzzle color. Um, so I'm I I find myself in a blend of of those two. If I had to guess, like yeah. Um, is the Speed Force the best and worst thing the DC universe has ever built? Um, the Speed Force would it's a tie between the Speed Force and Batman with prep time. Are the <laughs> <laughs> what a good answer. <laughs> All right. No further questions, Your Honor. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, that makes it my turn. So one of you guys has to ask me questions because I'm not gonna. Not gonna yeah, Matt, myself. it's your turn. Here we go, Matt. Okay, Todd. <laughs> All right. All right. So Matt, you've you've asked us the same questions. We'll open up with that. Um, what is your earliest memory of a comic or video game? Yeah, my video game memories start really early. Um, my dad got an NES as a wedding present. And so when I was... Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, doesn't that rip? So when I was really young, uh, I played on our NES a lot. Um, you know, we had the, like, Super Mario Brothers and Duck Hunt combo, which I played a ton of. It's still behind me on this shelf. Um I played a lot of the NES Jeopardy game, which I did not understand and infuriated me. <laughs> there was a monster truck game that I played a lot of and a um, oh, a U.S. volleyball game that I played a bunch of as well. Okay. NES. But the thing was, is that like, you know, I was born in 93, which was well after the true heyday of the NES. And by the time I was old enough to hold a controller and and click buttons the nes was near the end of its lifespan so like mm -hmm. some of my earliest memories are my dad coming home from like the local video store with like these are the nes cartridges that they were selling i got us new games for the nes because we never had a super nintendo um and I'll never forget my dad bringing home a shiny, fresh, heavily used copy of um, uh, Kid Icarus for the NES, and oh, we could nice. never get it to work. And oh. it has—it's like my—it's like my collector's white whale that's really easy to find because Kid Icarus isn't rare. But um, <laughs> it, there is just something like very early on in my memory about this, like. It is cool to find old games. It is rare to find old games that work. And mm. when you do find old games that work, they should be played and be celebrated, which is like that that earliest memory that started me down the collecting old shit I'll never use path in life. Um, I also had a brick Game Boy really, really early. Um, my grandma had a brick game boy for some reason that like I found at her house and was like, can I have this? And she said, yes. <laughs> uh -huh. Um, and so there was one Easter that I really specifically remember finding in my Easter basket, which was in my grandparents oven. I don't know why I remember that, but, um, <laughs> sure. Probably cause it's so bizarre. Yeah. Slash 
Uh, but I got you a copy about how it might of burn down the house. Centipede and Battletoads. Um, All right. So that was uh, those were some of my early early games, and then like I got an N sixty four not long after they came out, and I got a Game Boy Color also not too long after they came out. So I started on sort of these hand me down retro consoles that were a little bit before my time, and then got into um, what came out for me and just like really, really fell hard into Nintendo land. Um, as far as comics go, I guess a similar experience to Kyle. I had never really thought of like comics in the newspaper as comics, but they sure are. And I was also very into the funnies as a kid, but like I have never been a reader. I did not read a lot. Um, you know, I went to school during No Child Left Behind, so I was taught to read yeah. for the answer and not for comprehension. <laughs> um, and I've never looked back. And so I I remember reading comics in the newspaper. I remember getting really into comic characters through Saturday morning cartoons. Um, DC and Warner Brothers was really popping off when I was a kid, like, Batman Beyond and Static Shock were definitely some of my I, earlier. I totally meant to mention like Batman, Batman the Animated Beyond. Series, Batman Beyond, Static yeah. Shock, the Justice like the Justice League cartoons that spun out of that same universe. All were very formative to my comic book knowledge. Yeah, yes. and then we actually had, um, you know, we had the like super four hundred and fifty channels cable, and one of those channels was Boomerang. Uh, which yeah. just like ran old shows. Yeah. And I remember at one point being like really into the old Justice League of America or Super Friends, the old do Super do Friends do show. Do oh, yeah. Uh, and I watched a bunch <laughs> of that. But like my dad was really into Superman. And uh, as you know, the X Men movies and the Spider Man movies came out, I my dad was into that sort of action movie. And I was young and impressionable and fell in love with Marvel really quickly. I have a follow up um, before we go on to the next question. So you had mentioned um, or at least hinted to and you've certainly talked about on our podcast, your love of like collecting games. Um, what is. If not your prized possession that you have out of your collection, what is like one of the notable items of your physical collection right now? Oh, OK, that's a good one. Um, so one of the most notable things for me that like I have that isn't super important is the super Nintendo I bought when I got out of college. Cause it was like one of my first, like I have the money and I'm going to buy like a, a console. And I had every other Nintendo console. I never had a super Nintendo. So buying my first super Nintendo for me personally, was like, wow, this is a really cool moment. And I'm, right. I'm really happy about this. Um, I am on the slow path in life to collecting all of the N64 games. Um, and I have a lot of the ones that are like not ultra rare expensive, but are the games that everybody wants kind of expect expensive. So mm-hmm. like Ocarina, Majora's Mask, uh, Mario Party, Smash Brothers, all of those that like I'm not going to have to pay somebody $75 for because I right. bought them in the box. But my big like if I'm going to throw my weight as a collector around, I have the box to my Wii, my N64, and my or, the original NES box all oh, cool. still in, like, perfect wow. condition. 
Um, so if I ever wanted to like rebox my NES and, and put it on a wall, I could, I never will. I don't, I don't collect things to look at them. I collect things to like use them. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm much more into like, you know, a shitty car copy of some game that somebody wrote their name on that I got for like 25 cents than I am into like, oh, I paid for this game in a jewel case. Um, right. But I think like looking quickly around at the things that I collect, I think my NES box and my N64 box, because it's the N64 Pokemon Stadium bundle box. Nice. And like mm. the plastic's still in really good shape. I have all the foam. Like it's it's in for a fucking box. It's in really <laughs> good condition. Um on a similar thread, Matt. So we've we've been now to a, a dozen of these like Retro game cons, which are full of what Matt calls tub thumb, but tub was <laughs> it tub thumbing? Uh, thumbing buckets. Yeah, yeah you're here to thumb buckets. Tub, tub thumbing by Chumbawamba. <laughs> thumbing thumbing buckets is my favorite D and D NPC name. <laughs> um, nice. Uh, is there? So we we've been to a lot of these where the people sell these things. Is there something that can come up in your mind, like? one like either game or thing that's like an immediate eye roll or is like i can't believe somebody would buy this or like i can't believe people sell this for this price um any of the mario party games holy shit every mario party game is overpriced anybody who wants you to pay more than 40 dollars for a mario mario party game you should punch him in the mouth um yeah man like I really like Nintendo stuff and Nintendo stuff is hard because Nintendo doesn't lower their prices ever. You know, Sony and Microsoft and other game companies work like real businesses where they're like, nobody's buying this thing <laughs> yeah. from 80 years ago. We can knock the Let's price make it down. 10 bucks. Yeah. But no, not Nintendo. So like everybody thinks that because quote unquote retail price of an N64 game is still fifty nine ninety five. That like people can find these common ass N sixty four games and be like, yeah, that's seventy bucks. Get out! Of Breath here. of the Wild is still forty dollars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Ridiculous. and it will be forty dollars uh, forever. Yeah, till yeah, till Nintendo goes under. Um, so Matt, I think I asked you this in Portland, but Portland was such a whirlwind. I absolutely don't remember the question, the answer. What's the hardest N sixty four game to acquire? Oh, to complete the collection. There's one, and I don't, I don't remember the name of it off the top of my head. But there's one that, like, numerically, we know where all of them are, and no more exist. Um, oh wow! Oh, okay, okay, um, that's kind of gotcha. Cool. Yeah, or actually, that might be for Super Nintendo. I think that's one of the track event games for Super Nintendo. I was actually just listening to a the, podcast the about the World this Championships. Other. It is one. not the World Championship cart, but that one is really hard to find. Um, I. I think it's called track events. I would have to look, but there is that is a Super Nintendo game. I'm almost sure that just like we know where they all are and there aren't any more. And bummer. yeah, and yeah, um, as far as N64 games, like. I think that it will get to a point where the hardest ones to find are common games. Everyone is hoarding, you know, like. The the Legend of Zelda games for the N64 are starting to get stupid overpriced. Yeah. And yeah. it's going to get to a point where, like, the limiting factor is less about, like, finding it than it is... What the person wants 
to separate with it. Right, mm. exactly. Um, so like, yeah, the the world championship card is like super hard to find. Um, clay racer or clay fighter sculptor's cut is another one that's like super super difficult to get your hands on. Honestly, Mario 64, like if you don't already have it, you're gonna have to sacrifice a child to get it. Um, <laughs> which is silly. And like, yeah, I mean, I'm scrolling through this list right now, and all of these are are games that are pretty pretty standard. Um the one of the Turok sequels is also really hard to find, too, maybe. Seeds I, of Evil. Yeah, I think so. Um, is really tough to find. But I think N64, and this is to to piggyback off a podcast that I'll pitch now, which is the Video Game History Hour um, run by the Video Game History Foundation. They were talking in their last episode about how the infrastructure to get these sort of things exists, right? You know, we are at a point in culture where any game you want, you can buy. You just have to meet the price, right? You know, like... Yeah, the internet, eBay, things like Portland all exist that it's a lot less about thumb and bucket these days where like and and open and wallets. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You thumb know, and like, bucket. <laughs> I got my first copy of Star Fox 64 off eBay. Um, and that was like a long time ago when eBay was kind of fresh and new. And it was like, oh, my God, you can buy video games from the internet and they'll come to you in the mail. What the shit? <laughs> Um, and and not everyone had an had eight indexes of prices to right. cross cross yeah. examine, so you might actually pick things up for a decent price sometimes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So definitely, the weird thing about collecting these days is that like you're not limited by like geographically or by what you can find. Uh-huh. It's it's really just about what you're willing to pay, which is why I get a lot more fun out of Thumb and Bucket. Um, and just like looking for those diamonds in the rough or, or things that it's like, this is on my list, but nobody else cares. Like Kid Icarus um, is, is a good example of like just a game that I want to have because I want to have it, but not one mm-hmm. that, you know, is going to cost me an arm and a leg or is going to be really hard to find. What's the best deal? What's the best like, like you couldn't believe you found the thing for the price that you've gotten oh yeah dude i bought perfect dark for two dollars i was like hell yeah man it smells like cigarette smoke but it was two (laughs) dollars um i also got whatever mario party was on the wii and i don't remember which one seven maybe um i uh yeah i think it might have been seven um i bought that off facebook marketplace for like under five dollars and and that was a pricey one um Mario Party 5 is one of those games, like one of those common games that's gotten blown out in price. Um, and I just have Mario Party 5 from like when it came out. So that's fun. <laughs> uh, the big thing I've been telling people who are like, what do you, how do you get into video game collecting? I've been telling people, go right now, buy yourself a physical copy of Breath of the Wild and don't open it and then forget that you have it for 50 years. Oh, and then yeah. congratulations, yeah, right. you're a video game collector. Like that's... That's Especially it. when it comes to Nintendo, it's really just like buy stuff today and and see how and long you can on go to without it. breaking it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you are our resident edgy horror boy. Um, so <laughs> I mean, as you've shared multiple times, you 
You do spookums um, on the side of the I gig. do a spookum. I do. Um, you do haunts. You, the haunts do. and the spookums, two separate things. Uh, so here's the question. So what, quote, sharpened your edge, so to speak, and got you into horror? And if we're talking specifically about, like, comic horror, um, one would lean to, like, Ghost Rider. What got you into those sort of things? Yeah. Um so I think a lot of it, I was trying to trace it back because this is one of the questions that Derek, when he commissioned this, asked me as an example. I was kind of trying to trace back like how I got here because a lot of my earliest memories of horror are really hating it. I was terrified of scary movies. I did not grow up watching like, you know, your your Freddies and your Jasons and, and your Texas Chainsaw Massacres. Um, I I was terrified of like, jump scares and scary things and i i really hated it interesting um (laughs) i think that a lot of my interest in like what i would call macabre or like the macabre um was kind of my interest in like power rangers and um the the villains in like Power Rangers or big bad Beetleborgs or, um, (laughs) you know, gargoyles or or street sharks or whatever. Um, And I I kind of started to like, you know, the the darker tales, the brooding tales. Um, And then I remember at the Giant Eagle in my hometown there was a Jurassic. That was a made up word. Keep going. <laughs> there was a Jurassic Park, uh, like, I, I don't know what to call it, like an early VR rail shooter game where you like sat mm-hmm. in a cart. You sat in a box and it had curtains on either side. So it was immersive. And um, I it had a like Velociraptor jump scare and it traumatized me. And I was very upset. I also, as a kid, uh, was traumatized by my cousin who had a, a fake severed arm one day when we were like play fighting he shut that fake severed arm in his door and said i cut his arm off and it ruined me (laughs) and that's why you always leave a note man (laughs) (laughs) and so somewhere around those events occurring i i had a moment where i i stood in the mirror in my bathroom and i said never again (laughs) <laughs> and I I just kind of started like immersing myself a little bit. Um, I got really into uh, Discovery and Travel Channel used to do these like scariest haunted houses in America. Um, but they weren't like, you know, it wasn't like bump in the night haunted houses. It was haunted attractions. And I got really interested in the way that haunted attractions worked and and the science behind scaring people and and how all of those things kind of came together at a very young age um and i said earlier like i was i was into pokemon and like or not pokemon sorry i was i was into um like power rangers and stuff i i was also into james bond and some of the james bond villains are are very horde inspired with like jaws and baron samadhi and and stuff like that and so all of that stuff kind of led me up to this point. Um, oh, oh, I was really into WWE. I really liked pro wrestling. Oh, and that, yeah, was okay. uh, yeah. that was the other. That was the other thing. Um, yep. So all of that led That's up to this nexus sure. point, which <laughs> I refer to colloquially as 2007, um, when I developed this fun little thing called clinical depression and found <laughs> new metal. Oh, fun. Um, and my... 
my determination to immerse myself in things that were scary, my new love of this cool band from the West Coast called Corn, and 2007's Nick Cage Ghost Rider movie just really really scratched all, some itches for me yeah um, it all hit at the same your time your sugar spice everything nice and chemical <laughs> yeah and it, like <laughs> i i remember the feeling this sucks and i'm i'm so mad i'm about to say it on the internet but i remember <laughs> the feeling when the original 2007 ghost rider ended and the end credits of that movie are set to a cover of ghost riders in the sky by spider bait the band oh. who did Black Betty, the the cover that everybody knows, and right. the spider bait cover of Ghost Riders in the Sky became my whole personality. <laughs> right. Uh, and, and it was all kind of downhill from there. <laughs> um Ghost Ghost Rider related question, Matt. You you did a flavor text over Ghost Rider and you told us about like 20 some different writers of ghosts. Um <laughs> Do you have like a like a top three, like a top three Ghost Rider, like a like a like a, you know, your favorite one, your one that you didn't know you loved and like the zaniest one that you just want to remind people <laughs> exists? Yeah, I it's like an it's like an F. Mary kill, like kind of <laughs> in the situation with yeah, Ghost Rider. Forget actually forget Todd's question. <laughs> yeah, fuck Mary kill F. Ghost Riders. Well, yeah. you have to give F- me okay. three Ghost Riders first. That's the the. You no, gotta, I don't. No, it's just all the Ghost Riders. Which okay. Ghost Rider would you bang? Is it um, Goose Rider? <laughs> it's not. It's not Goose Rider. All right. Well, okay. whatever you prove. So, so I bang Barbara Ketch. Um, yeah. And then I marry Kashala, and then I kill Frank Castle Cosmic Ghost Rider, because that That's one's fair. the worst. Um, I I don't remember. I, I, I did the flavor text, and I'll admit that I don't remember the context behind the Fear Itself comic cover, where it's two Ghost Riders kissing. Um, <laughs> I, you want to kill like that, to, that moment? I'd like to bang specifically that ghost rider. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, man. I guess to answer your original question, mm-hmm. Johnny Blaze is my favorite ghost rider, largely because of the times that Johnny Blaze wasn't ghost rider and kept just like palling around with ghost rider anyway. Yeah. He had no powers but a hellfire shotgun and was like, ah, but still, <laughs> this is the life for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that a lot. Um, Kashala rules. Kashala is the underrated Ghost Rider. I want Madison from She-Hulk to be Kashala in the MCU. (laughs) Give it to me. Um, And then, yeah, dude, Frank Castle Ghost Rider sucks. Cosmic Ghost Mm -hmm. Rider sucks. The whole Cosmic Ghost Rider taking baby Thanos through a journey as to whether or not he should baby Hitler, baby. (laughs) It sucks. Right. It's bad, and I hate all of it. Yeah, the there is again on the famous social media platform, the TikTok today, it summarized <laughs> uh his run in like 45 seconds where um you know, he like begs for any sort of power and Mephisto leads him to the Ghost Rider power and then he also gets Galactus's power because Galactus is dying and then yeah, he he they has a daddy's give, day out with baby Thanos. They always give out Galactus's power when they when they do that. They did it in Marvel Zombies ate Galactus and got Galactus. Right. Or no, they ate um, Silver Surfer. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. 
and then summoned Galactus and ate Galactus, and that was stupid. The whole thing with Cosmic Ghost Rider is it's like, what if you had all of the power and no world left to lord it over? And that, honestly, is just not an interesting question to ask a comic book reader, IMO. Um, especially when it's like... They do that a lot, too. Yeah. Like, that's, like, the point of Old Man Hulk and stuff. And like, especially when you, like, wrap in this whole... The baby Hitler question of, like... Is it is it cool to solve a problem before it comes a, becomes a problem? And then like Thanos kills a bunch of people. It's that that run sucks. It just sucks. I'm done talking about it. It sucks. <laughs> <laughs> um, this next one's my question. Um, so I'll ask it. Matt, you are our most, I would say, like ride or die MCU apologist. Oh, um, that hurts, but okay, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> um when did you decide you were like ride or die for the MCU? And like, what's the, what's the hardest MCU movie you have to defend? <laughs> oh man. Okay. Um, I've seen every MCU movie in theaters on release weekend, except the incredible Hulk, every single one. Um, am I proud of that? No. Is it a fact? Yes. Um, <laughs> I, what's the one you're least proud of seeing at midnight? Uh, Thor two, uh, Thor two, absolutely okay. Thor two. Is that, uh, that also one didn't the hardest come out in to theaters. defend? I thought we went through this. <laughs> yeah, no, that's canon. <laughs> no, um, no, it's not the hardest to defend. The hardest to defend is um, probably Age of Ultron because it is my favorite and I really love it. And also, Joss Whedon made it suck, um, and and there's just <laughs> no way around that. But um, when did I decide that I was like all in? Was probably the first Avengers, like. First yeah, of, I okay. cited First Avengers as my favorite movie beside 2003's Bruce Almighty for years of my life. Um, that was a pretty pivotal moment for me, especially because Avengers happened in cinema around the time that Harry Potter was wrapping up in cinema, which I was very invested in as a kid. As a year later. Yeah, yeah. so like as... As my, I need to see every Harry Potter movie when it releases, and I need to be really invested in this, ended, the MCU was there to just, like, pick it up. What are we other than one hyperfixation after the next, right? Right. Man, I don't know. I've been been in therapy for a long time trying to figure that out. Um, Um, If if you would have told 16, no, 18-year-old, this was 2008, 18-year-old Kyle working in a movie theater that he should have grabbed the Iron Man poster instead of the Dark Knight poster. <laughs> um, he would have laughed in your face. Oh my God, I'm so mad I did not get an Iron Man poster when I worked at the movie theater that summer because that thing would talk about a collectible right. these days. Yeah. An original movie theater printing of an Iron, of the Iron Man poster. Here's a question, Matt. So we, so Age of Ultron. Yep. It is, <laughs> period. Got um, it. It is it is a point of debate of, you know, has that movie uh, been more important over the years? I would say yes. I think many would agree. Yeah. How would you, Matt, fix that movie? If if you had you know what the movie is now, you know what it leads to, you know, it's shortcomings. Oh, boy, there are shortcomings. What are like three things you would do to maybe give that movie a facelift to to be better? I think 
three point plan. All right. Yeah. Point number one. <laughs> You've kicked in K Fige's door. <laughs> um, point number one, you cut the Hulk Natasha love story line. It is right. bad. I rewatched right. Age of Ultron the other night and Is that your Sunday watch? Uh it tends to be. It's on that list, yeah. Fair. But I I watched it the other night and was reminded of that scene where Natasha pulls Bruce Banner in close kisses him and is like, I adore you. And then shoves him in a pit and says, but I need the other guy. And like, <laughs> oh, right. Come on. Sucks. Um, so that's, and I would say that wasn't even the worst part. No, no, no. That's point one. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people are going to think point two is cut the Hawkeye farm scene, but you're wrong. That's no. really important. Mm-hmm. No, no. Hawkeye, Hawkeye um, farm scene is good. Great. A Hawkeye farm great. scene yeah. is great. It not. Don't ask anyone in 2014. The, uh, yeah. to say <laughs> well, that yeah it was <laughs> um, 2014 in, was wrong about a lot of things yeah. true point two point two is that you need more of james spader's ultron becoming red pilled by the internet basically like you need more mm. of james that instantaneous like i've seen the internet and it was too much while hilarious <laughs> Again, to look fair. back on like very funny i wanted more of like Ultron's descent into madness. Um, Just more Ultron altogether. Yes. Like, and mm-hmm. specifically um, James Spader's Ultron, because I really yeah. like James Spader's Ultron. And then point three is I would have liked both Quicksilver and Ultron to have exited that movie in a way that they could be brought back more easily. Right. Um, but that's point three is the is less necessary. Honestly, like if you cut if you cut the the Bruce Natasha storyline, a lot of the problems mm-hmm. from Age of Ultron go away just right there. Do you, mm-hmm. do you think that movie is better with less characters or does it does it hold up hold itself up with its cast? Well, I go ahead, Todd. Well, I was just going to say like Thor only gets like 7 minutes of screen time. Mm-hmm. Um they yeah. they calculated it and, when it was all and said most and done of with. and most of that is devoted to the like can vision setting up, up the, the B hammer. plot that goes yeah. through everything else. Yeah. Yeah. I think that it, it doesn't necessarily need more or less characters. I think time just needs to be like re re allotted, you know? Cause like yeah. my favorite, the reason that I love age of Ultron so much is because what it does to the family dynamic of the Avengers and the way mm-hmm. it develops the relationships between the Avengers and the rivalry between Tony and Steve is really like set up in that movie. This whole idea of Clint has a family to come home to and uh, like superheroing is just his day job. Like all of those things are what laid the groundwork for where we are in the MCU now, where we have a She-Hulk saying like, yeah, man, like, there's a guy named the man bull and he's just like doing it these days. And, (laughs) and Mr. Immortal just like marries people and it's whatever, like the, the ability to look at superheroes on a day to day level, I really think was laid as a groundwork in age of Ultron. And had they spent more time, you know, investigating those relationships than trying to like, no, Bruce, you can bang me. I can't have children. It's fine. 
Um, <laughs> yeah, like I, it's it's very Joss Whedon, like right. for good and bad, mm-hmm. because like Joss Whedon does a very good job at those like team dynamics and like like the infighting and like relationships that build because of that. But he also writes women like garbage. Right. Um, so yeah. it's, it's, it's very Joss Whedon for good and bad in that regard. And I really like the, the relationship between Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch. I, I think it's really mm-hmm. cool. Mm-hmm. It's a shame that we don't get to see more of that, you know, like their big introduction to the field is the um oh god the bad guy at the beginning of the movie baron strucker baron strucker thank you (laughs) hydra grunt number seven um you know he's talking about like well we have the twins but we can't release the twins they're not ready and then they just like disappear and Mm -hmm. if we would have instead had this moment of wanda and pietro talking about like you know this is our home and these people experimented on us to to be the guardians of Sokovia and like, we need to fight back against that. And, and just having more of their relationship as a family, I, I think would have been much more interesting than Helen Cho asking if Thor is going to be at the party. Cause she has the hots for Thor. Um, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know we're running kind of long. Does anybody else have any, any questions before we call it up? I got one more. Um, and that is Matt, you are, also probably like our most competitive gamer or like like in public gamer i'm thinking of your pokemon pinball high score your guitar hero touring group that band, went to malls and played guitar hero songs live and, in front and, of people and then you're our overwatch and overwatch 2 boy as well um how how did you get into those scenes and like what other games have you played competitively or semi-competitively even if it's like a a dabble and you're like nope i can't i can't go down that road again kind of sense oh man um this unlocks some really dark memories so here we go um (laughs) pokemon pinball like fun joke there was nothing that was like oh i gotta get really good at pokemon pinball i just sat down to play that game one day and never stopped um so that that's that as far as guitar hero goes um most of my most of my competitive gaming was done at the uh GameStop in the Clearview Mall in Butler, Pennsylvania, um which I think now lies like a Goliath skeleton of a, a mall like all do, but um like all malls. Yeah. The last the last thing I heard that they were doing at my mall is that they opened early so people from the community could come and do laps and walk in the yeah, mall. That's um, that is yep. a thing. Yeah. So anyway, there was a GameStop in that mall and we frequented that GameStop because there was a GameStop and there was an EB Games and the EB Games wasn't any good. And most of us got to know the like manager and the other, you know, sweaty nerds who hung around the GameStop. Um, Guitar Hero got really, really big in my group of friends. I was a single friend removed from the the anime troupe that Andrew was in. Different time, different year, same people. Um, one, one flame shirt removed. <laughs> yeah, man. Like I had some friends who were really, really into Toonami and really into DBZ. And um, 
those friends also got really into Guitar Hero. I was an only child. I liked rock music. I was primed to get into Guitar Hero. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So there's this guy who used to hang out at the mall. His name was Nacho. And Nacho (laughs) hung out. He was either in the food court, the GameStop, or the New Dimension Comics. Um, He wore the same green trench coat every day. His name was Nacho. What do you want? Um, not- Brief aside, I recently learned the word Nacho and the word Nazi have the same etymological origin. Oh, fun. Wow. Go Weird. on. Those developed <laughs> largely different connotations. Um, so Nacho was the buddy of the GameStop manager who organized a lot of these tournaments or like would say like you should do a tournament for this game or you should do a tournament for this game. So I played in my fair share of like DDR tournaments, Super Smash Brothers Melee tournaments, um, Guitar Hero tournaments, then rock band tournaments, and and my sweaty nerd friends from GameStop became my band H and D. Um and <laughs> yeah, like we we just kind of went for it. Um what was interesting though is that like when you talk about Overwatch, Overwatch 2, I didn't have a PlayStation until very late. I bought a PlayStation to play Dance Dance Revolution. I did not have PlayStation Network. I did not have an Xbox. I was not on Xbox Live. I was not your Calls of Duty or your Medals of Honor was not me. Um, so a lot of those I I missed out on. And then, yeah, in 2016, when Overwatch came out, I had been on kind of a streak of not really playing video games. I didn't play a ton of games in college. I mostly played Super Smash Brothers Brawl because that's what the fraternity house had. And I was on the internet one day and somebody was like, hey, you want to play hockey, but you shoot each other and everyone's a superhero. And I was like, I sure do. <laughs> I sure do. I want that, that more than greatest, anything. That is the greatest way to explain Overwatch. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, um, And so I didn't have anything to play Overwatch on. I actually just got like really into watching Overwatch. Uh, And then when it came to Switch, it was it was the end of my life. It was was, was like doing heroin (laughs) for the first time. Who was it that was that was the cat? Like who decided that we were all going to get weird into Overwatch? Was it you? It was me. It was all me. I genuinely Um, don't remember because I literally I mean, I had been counting down the days until Overwatch came out on a system that I had. Because I didn't have a PC. You orchestrated a global pandemic for the purposes of getting us. (laughs) Well, the pandemic happened first because the pandemic happened and we made the Smash Brothers Discord. Right. And um, Mm -hmm. pandemic happened in March. Overwatch came out in May. And in May, I was like, you guys, wouldn't it be awesome (laughs) if we all got really into this game? And I said, no, I won't play it until Overwatch 2 comes out. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And now you are. We all are. We are all of us Overwatch Kyle, isn't... I'm not. I I stopped chasing the dragon. You say now. Yeah, whatever. I have four other battle passes that I have. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, we have gone nice and long. We've talked about ourselves a lot. Um, I know I, for one, am uncomfortable, so I think I'm ready to wrap up. Uh, Do you guys have anything else you want to throw in here at the end? Great. I'll take your silence as an agreement. Anyway, thanks for listening to Debate This. You can follow along with the arguments on Yik Yak, MySpace, and Mastodon. Who did this? <laughs> Those are <laughs> the chief three social yeah. media platforms now, yeah. Matt. 
Oh, wow. You didn't even put TikTok on there. Um, I had TikTok, Tumblr, and Mastodon, and Todd changed it to Yik Yak Mass MySpace. Oh, it, we need to pick three that people don't actually use because we don't have right. a debate this account on any on any of these. Well, I read TikTok, and I haven't read the words TikTok in a long time. I'm like, that's like Yik Yak. I remember that. <laughs> Yik Yak is back, apparently. Shut up. Um, yeah. <laughs> Great. Uh, anyway, thanks for listening. You can follow along at, at Not Those Places and also on our website at DebateThisCast.com. Also, a huge thanks to the Harmacist in our Discord for commissioning this flavor text. Like I mentioned earlier, commissions are on hold through the end of the year. If you already have a commission in with us, have no worries. We will be filling out like all of the commissions that we have, and we will reopen commissions once we get a little bit caught up. Once we do reopen those commissions, we are planning to only open them to our Patreon. So if you are not already a member of hashtag Buttthwomp Nation, consider joining up over at patreon.com slash debate this cast. Get access to our Discord. Get extended show bonus things um, and stuff. Do it and stuff. I didn't have anything written and I panicked a little bit. Until next time, <laughs> I'm Matt Cole. I'm Todd. Sacrificing a child for Mario 64 is just the law of equivalent exchange. Thomas? <laughs> I'm, I'm Andrew, one pair of spray-painted arthritis gloves away from going to a 2023 anime convention. Henderson? And I'm Kyle, um, the giant dominoes meme, but John Favreau putting a um, little-known tech billionaire in, in a cameo role in Iron Man 2 to the collapse, total collapse of a social media platform, Harper. Can we change it to Eli Lilly living, losing $8 billion? <laughs> 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 and we're saying thanks for debating with us. And if you think we're wrong, you can come fight us behind the swing sets, nerds. Express Spooky Review Read. This review titled Untitled. If you like nerdy stuff, listen to this podcast. These guys are hilarious and constantly bring their A game to every episode. Pay special attention to the flavor text episodes. They do a great job breaking down nerdy topics and making them very accessible to your average listener. Subscribe forever and you won't regret it. This review titled Untitled. Debate This has worked its way into my weekly podcast repertoire. The Debate This boys specialize in two things. One, deep diving the lore on topics their fans request, which usually feels like a great video essay you listen to with three friends, making jokes or asking questions about while you listen. Two, making the best debates about the stupidest topics imaginable. It's like, you know, like a car crash, but you cannot look away. This has been 
A Spooktacular Express Spooky Review Read.